0: Hello, I'm Joanna Elnion, and welcome to the second podcast celebrating neurodiversity as part of World Autism Awareness Week. I'm a director of WIHTL and Diversity in Retail, and we work to increase women's and ethnic minorities' representations at all levels and in leadership positions across hospitality, travel, leisure and retail, and at the same time work with organisations to improve inclusion and create cultures where anyone can reach their potential. I'm also the mum of a six-year-old autistic boy. In the last episode, I spoke to neurodiversity advocate Theo Smith, himself neurodiverse and co-author of the book Neurodiversity at Work. If you haven't listened to it yet, please do check it out. It was a fascinating discussion and set out some themes, ideas that could help revolutionise the employment of neurodiverse talent. In this episode, I'm taking a slightly different slant by having a chat with some other people like me parents of autistic children who are keen to raise the awareness of neurodiversity and champion companies to become more supportive and inclusive. With a vested personal interest, so to speak, it's leaders like these women who can help set the agenda for employers now and hopefully make sure that in the future, neurodiversity is firmly part of the broader inclusion agenda that can make a real difference to people's lives. I'm joined by Vina Ma, formerly a lawyer who now works in the global technology sector for Russell Reynolds, an executive search firm. Alary Dodsworth, a partner at Stanton Chase, Executive Search and Leadership Consultants, and also Jude Irons, Product Director for NANDOS, UK and Ireland. Thank you so much for being here today and coming together. And we're really going to cover two particular topics in our conversation today, mostly based around autism and neurodiversity and at work essentially. So I think from two veins, the first being how employers can support parents more effectively of children who are on the spectrum or who are neurodiverse. And also what do employers need to be thinking, I think, generically for inclusion and well-being um, that perhaps is a message we would like to send today because, you know, we, we saw that um, from the National Autistic Society statistics from 2016, employment, of people with autism, autistic people is the lowest of any disability group. And this is a huge talent pool that potentially employers could tap into and really they have um, you know incredible potential opportunity and I think personally employers are missing out so I think on the first area uh, around what do we think employers need to be aware of or what could they do to help parents I'm going to come to you first Veena if that's okay and just get your thoughts and and we'll just we'll go from there.
1: Yeah of course I think I think the one thing that I didn't appre- appreciate and therefore I suspect um, employers with, with who, who don't have this so front and centre in their lives um, are, like, are less likely to appreciate is just the emotional energy um it it takes up and you know i i i have said in the past it's not just about my workload it's about i need to keep some of my head space free (laughs) um to go to go and go and talk to him at at, at the end of the day and if there's any kind of movement or change or challenge that's happening in his life or with school or or something else it's not often um something that comes to the fore um because he doesn't often tell me so i have to have that space to kind of dig um, and and do a lot more research, kind of almost forensically, <laughs> to try and figure out what's going on. So I think that's that. If I had to deliver one message, is just you know to the employees, just be, be aware of this chunk of emotional energy and headspace that's being taken up taken up by parents who are trying to support mm. their children in the way that they communicate, the way their style, and are also very challenging um, in terms of the, of the uh, how they make you look at yourself as well and 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 uh, perhaps some of the things that you take for granted
0: building on that larry do you, how do you think that could manifest itself in a practical sense because when you have you know when this huge amount of emotional energy when you're trying to balance everything what well, how do you think that could manifest itself practically for employers
2: yeah i think a lot of it is around we wouldn't expect employees to be necessarily the, the experts here, so don't pretend that you necessarily understand, but do be prefer- prepared to address it, don't ignore it, um, and spend time listening. I mean, that's the, one of the, the greatest things that you can do is listen and try and appreciate somebody else's perspective. Um, also that can kind of lead into what that employee might need, so it might be that they need greater flexibility in how they approach their work. Um, it might also be that they prefer to work remotely because they, they need to be more on hand to attend appointments, meetings, etc. Um, it might be they need to reduce their hours and be receptive to all of these things. And one of the key things, and this is a mantra that I live by, is reduced hours does not mean reduced ambition.
1: Mm.
2: And that is a really important point, I think, for employers to remember that there's a lot of juggling going on here. But it doesn't mean the ambition and the the drive for that individual is no longer there. It just means they're trying to manage life.
0: I think that's a great point, Alaria, about it doesn't mean reduced ambition. You know, we still want to thrive in our careers. We still want to, you know, be the best that we can be. And I think, um, Jude, if I can come to you for your thoughts around that in terms of throughout your career, have you seen some great practice or, you know, just from a personal experience?
3: It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because before you become a parent and before you become a parent of a child with a neurodiversity, you really don't know anything about right. it. And I think the only thing I would say is my, I mean, to Lara's point, my ambition hasn't dimmed. My capabilities haven't changed as an individual. If anything, I'm probably more compassionate, empathetic and able to see other people, stand in other people's shoes a bit more clearly. Just taking on the, the emotional energy of A, becoming a parent and then B, having to deal with the intensity of it doesn't go away to a certain mm. extent in terms of you have to learn you have to be your child's advocate you become an expert in autism you use your spare time sitting down watching Tony Atwood's head talks um, you become an expert on the law you become an expert in how to deal with educational psychologists local authority and all this is going on on top of that point in your career where you're probably progressing to middle or senior management yeah and you're also taking on a load of other work learning um, and you're having to manage people in your team so you've got people management at home people management at work and it is just that overwhelm that sense of overwhelm um, and unfortunate as to where I am now that I can have really open conversations with everybody around me and I'm in a position where I can just be honest and say look I just need a moment or I'm not going to be able to walk straight into that meeting so I've got a difficult session with school this morning but I, I don't know as Somebody who, if I hadn't had a neurotypical child, how I would be listening to parents in my position as a leader. How would I really put myself in their shoes and really, really listen and stop and think, hang on a minute, I can't just relate my experience to these people. I need to really put myself in their shoes just make space for people to talk openly um, and be very conscious that it's really emotional and difficult. It's a really difficult conversation to have with your manager.
2: I think a lot. Sorry, Joanna. I think yeah. a lot of what you just alluded to there is is around that. Uh, what what we're trying to say here, I think, is employers don't assume that if a if a parent of a neurodiverse child has these challenges, it makes them any less. Of a capable employee, and it's it's remembering that actually through managing these situations, you develop skills in itself. So you know you're developing, you're, you're becoming an advocate. You're negotiating. You're having to challenge. You're having to have incredibly difficult conversations with a lot of different professionals. Some sometimes you're believed, sometimes you're not believed. You have to keep fighting, and you are, if nothing else, resilient throughout that exhausted but resilient um, and I think it's just really important for employers not to think oh crikey you know what have we got this this just seems too difficult it's it's kind of you know seeing that there are benefits here as well it's, you know yes there might need to be some understanding and some time given to these employees so that they can actually just, just cope with the extra challenges but at the same time there's an there's an awful lot of skills coming back from these experiences and where, where do you think um,
0: now as a group, where do you think employers are in their awareness and understanding, because I think, yes, we can talk about flexibility and, you know, the, the pandemic has opened doors of flexibility that we hope do not get closed again. But where do you think employers are in their awareness of neurodiversity and, and autism? Do they, you
3: know, do, do, you know, what's the work that has to happen in that space, do you think, Jude? Um, it's an interesting one, because I've started to see articles being shared more often um, from some companies, and it tends to be tech companies, I don't know if I'm being unfair on other um, types of businesses, but where autism is being seen as a strength and actually a positive attribute, and there is a level of people being trained about neurodiversity and being trained around inclusion of people who are currently in the workforce, but also around consciously trying to encourage neurodiverse talent coming into the company. So I've seen some of that, which is great. Um, I think, you know, over the last year, we've focused on Black Lives Matter. We've recently been focusing on um, female discrimination on Sarah Everard, and certainly in our business, we've had lots and lots of very open conversations around unconscious bias and all sorts of different areas. I think I haven't yet got the sentiment that neurodiversity is being looked at quite enough. And I do wonder, looking at the proportion of people in the population who have some form of neurodiversity, which is relatively high, there's no, we are not collecting that data at work. I don't know if we generally are collecting that data. We know how many women we have. We know how many, what our BAME representation is. We know what the pay gap is. We know what their feedback is on our on our surveys. Um, we have we're gaining more of an understanding about different minority groups. I'm not sure we're really there yet with neurodiversity, but I wonder whether that's because we don't quite know what to do or how to do it yet. Um, But what I do know is there's lots and lots of parents out there who are dealing with this and lots of individuals out there who are dealing with it themselves who are possibly finding work a challenge and who are masking or struggling or having to, you know, not quite be themselves in a workplace environment. So I think think it's ripe to have the conversation. Avina, do you think there's anything in
0: terms of You know from again from a practical perspective we've spoken about uh, emotional energy we've spoken about the fact that there needs to be more awareness but as parents ourselves do we have to be more vocal how do we get that get to to that place
1: i think it i think it requires a lot of um courage and vulnerability honestly to get people to um make this relatable um i think what's been happening that is supporting us to have, have a few hypotheses. So, you know, organizations are starting to talk about this more. There are some organizations that are actually quite advanced in thinking about this in terms of their hiring. But, but as you say, Jude, you see it more in kind of technology in the telco environment um, uh, and um, and a little less so. But even there, I'm starting to see these conversations emerging. And as, um, as you know, jo- jo- Joanna, Diversity, equity, and inclusion more broadly is something that um, is 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 one of the hats that that I wear at, at Russell Reynolds. Um, and Judy mentioned BLM, and I think since George Floyd, I've seen a massive um, transition to where where there was a, where there was a pull for diversity it was often a big focus on gender. And now there's, you know, there's also, you also start talking about ethnicity. And I think as part of that, it's just open the aperture a little bit wider. And those conversations, we also now talk about neurodiversity. Now, I don't think it's particularly sophisticated um, in terms of how, you know, people think are thinking about um, re-measuring the competencies and things like that. But I think um, one of the things that, you know, we, we can talk about if we're in that situation where we're interviewing or whatever is actually say, okay, so they may not bring A, B and C, there are differences here in in, in the way they present or the way they influence or the way they communicate, but what they will bring is X, Y and Z, which no one on this particular leadership team or this particular team has, and I think that's where we can start to add add influence, Um, I also think that with Increased levels of diagnosis with, with you know mums like the four of us and parents like the four of us actually going out and saying, look, there's something in my gut that tells me that my child needs a bit more support. Um, there does seem to be just an increased level of um, of diagnosis and more people who know people, either in their families or children of friends who now have been diagnosed with autism. And I think that in itself is opening again opening the aperture again for people having more conversations about it and seeing it as an understanding. And I think that's where we can hold ourselves accountable because we have real experience that's hugely valuable for people who um, maybe have it and who aren't getting the pathway into organizations that they should. It's
0: one of the things that always is my bug but is that this person's not a cultural fit. You know, and I think we can talk about that as well, because I know it's, it's infuriating, <laughs> isn't it? But we'll, we'll come to that. I just let's just kind of wrap up this section around, for, I think, from a pet parental support. what Does that mean in practice more time off? So, for example, I have a friend um, and, and I'm in the same situation that our sons have complex needs. So after school care doesn't work for us. I can't send my son to an after school club for example. So, you know, Aleri, just coming back to you again, you know, is it flexible time off? Is it you know what? I, and, and and as we know, when you've met one person on the on the spectrum, you've met one person because everyone has such different, um, you know, strengths and challenges. But, you know, Aleri, if you had to do a top three for employers, for parents who are who are, you know, supporting their own career and supporting their children, what would that be?
2: Yes, yeah, so you're quite right there, Joanna, where you pick up on the, the flexibility of meaning different things for different people. So I think I think the, the coming back to my original point on this is I think the first and most important thing is to is to listen, listen to the individual and make it individual. You know, what does that individual need to flourish in the workplace? Um, so so that would be the, the key thing. The second thing is attempt to understand. You can't perhaps entirely understand, as we can all appreciate, we, we perhaps would not have understood had we not been put in this position, but attempt to understand. Um, and the third is value these individuals. You know they have so much to, to to bring and so many life experiences to bring. I mean, being a parent in itself, you learn so many extra skills that you can transfer to the workplace, and then you add this on as an extra dimension. Um, and I think it's just yes, it, it's making making these individuals feel valued and respected, um, mm. rather than the, the reverse, which can sometimes happen, unfortunately.
0: And and do you think the the pandemic has you know. Um, has helped that because our work and our, and our home lives have just become so blurred haven't they with, with, with Zoom and, and the virtual world do you think that now there's an opportunity to actually bring those kind of social networks because we do we have ERGs in terms of gender we have the you know employee resource groups for example but do you think we should encourage employers now to say we need to, to widen that
3: now you know what are your thoughts? I mean I would love that I would love to go back and have that conversation after speaking to you guys you know it's triggered something in me to actually why aren't we doing that we have lots of other we're we're going through a diversity and inclusion leadership training program at the moment which is absolutely brilliant we're not consciously calling out neurodiversity I don't think we're not calling it out it perhaps just isn't conscious so to create that support network to find like we did we found each other almost by accident on the you know mentoring female leaders program you just start these little conversations going and you know, pulling pulling a group of people together to specifically have a subset conversation around um, neurodiversity and, and being a parent and being a parent at work I think would be hugely supportive. So, so
0: I have a friend in, in the civil service and they have a SEND group within there and they they, they act as a, as a resource network and they lobby their employers, they create blogs, they create awareness Um, So I think there's actually a lot of power from within, to use a cliche, that that actually we as parents can do to help raise that awareness. And um, so I think let's move forward to our next theme on on that and building on that. So how do we encourage employers and organizations to be aware, first of all, I think of neurodiversity um, and autism, the huge potential that is out there of people that are desperate to work, want to work, have incredible skills and, and like, and, um, and in case of disability would need a few adjustments potentially to help them thrive and, and reach their potential at work. So it is the wider topic, but I think particularly around neurodiversity, what do we think um, can be done? So, Larry, if I can come to you again on that.
2: Yeah, sure. I, I think a lot of um, what I'm seeing at the moment is that we, we need leaders to buy into this we need leaders to vocalize this support this and I think there's a lot of fear around it I think it's that whole piece around I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't fully understand we talk about people with autism and they go oh and they see the autism and not the person and it's trying it's that whole educational piece on being being for for leaders to feel confident in this situation and for leaders to see that those with autism are primarily human beings. And I think if we can take away that that fear and actually perhaps introduce a leader to somebody with autism and then to start to realize that really this is not so strange, this is not so difficult. I think Jude alluded to the tech companies probably being far more advanced here and I I totally agree that they are in in, in the main. But it's around that whole making it a reality and making it normal. And I think at the moment, I do really think it it boils down to a lack of know-how, but primarily it's a lack of of confidence which relates to to this, this fear. So I think we almost need to give leaders the tools and simplify things so that they then feel confident to address this and actually make a start. And once you've made a start, there'll be a ripple effect you know one hire in everybody starts to realize that wasn't so difficult they start to deal with um hiring in a different way you know obviously we're we're probably all totally aware of the fact that you know interviews are not the best form of bringing somebody a neurodiverse um, person into an organization so it's looking at you know can you do work-based assessments can you um can you just take references and samples of work can you maybe just give somebody a trial you know there are so many different ways that you can bring individuals in and through that everybody's confidence grows and hopefully there will start to be some success and and it will and and gradually organizations will think oh hang on a minute we've been left behind we're not doing this and it will it will have a knock-on effect hopefully
0: and I think that's really key and I think that's your point Jude, you know how many companies are actually tracking in terms of, of you know so data we know is such a cornerstone of driving diversity and you know and diversity in its crudest sense is representation in in that you know but it's it's the inclusiveness that retains your talent and progresses it but you have to start and understand so you know I think that the data piece and and asking yes we're asking ethnicity or we should be asking ethnicity and engaging our teams to give us data and disclose and and engaging
3: candidates to do that what are your thoughts on that it's fascinating it's it's it's, as you're talking I'm just really noticing the parallels with schools and changing schools so we've just gone through this so you move from one environment where your child's well known and understood and accepted having Mm. probably gone through some pain to get there to another environment where your child is um, turning up in the uniform with probably a piece of paper or a set of assessments to to try and describe their neurodiversity But of course the other children can't see that and they don't read the assessments and they see that your your child on face value and you go through a period of pain every single time there's a change. And it takes a lot longer for your child, speaking for myself, for my child to be accepted than it does for my other two. A lot longer, it takes them a lot longer to make friendships, takes them longer for the teachers to get their heads around him, to find out what works, what doesn't work. And I'm just kind of thinking, I've just onboarded somebody virtually in a pandemic at work, and we kind of got around that through the recruitment process by having conversations, but also just talking to people that knew him. Um, one of my team already knew him anyway. And we just, le- we made more of an effort to learn around the person as well as learning directly from the person because we weren't able to sit down and look them in the face really. Mm-hmm. And I think we could have done a better job, but it's making me wonder whether removing the taboo of autism and being able to say, I am autistic. And that that would be completely fine in the same way as I would say, I am a woman. Um, And then maybe it is around a bit of an EHCP at work, which I know we'll laugh about, but you know, how does this person like to work? Do they like to have a bright space? Do they like lots of noise? Would they prefer to wear ear defenders? Does this person like an open plan office? Do they work better in silence on their own? Would they rather walk and talk to have a meeting than sitting face to face with somebody doing a performance review? You know, my son will open up to me walking and talking, and I've had to say to school this week, they're saying to me he won't tell you know we're not sure he's telling us everything it's like we'll take him for a walk okay fine so they've adjusted but that's because we've learned over a long period of time how to do that so you know perhaps it's just just taking away all of all of that we know at the moment and everything we assume about everybody going through learning and development programs and everybody having to do it the same way and having the same language at work and all using the same acronyms and all of this stuff. It's just not going to work for everybody. And how to get to a place of accepting people for who they are and, and loving them anyway just seeing their gifts and taking them and I know it's a bit different at work and we all have jobs to do and there's expectations of us but I think there's probably somewhere where we can meet people in the middle and not try and put them in a the mold and I think even people who do their best to not try and put people in the box are still slightly doing that because they're doing they're applying the same approach to all of their people and yeah, completely
0: and I, as you were talking I was just thinking of um, of someone I know who's dyslexic which I know is not Um, autistic, but as part of the um, neurodiversity um, umbrella, and she would do everything to hide it. She would do everything to hide it because she didn't want people to judge her on it. And and it also is a little bit, I know it's a bit of a tenuous thing, but you'll get where I'm going in terms of being a working parent. And, you know, for years, working mothers hid the fact they were mothers, you know, because they didn't want, back to your point about ambition, Hilarious, isn't it you know and it's and it's how employees can build generally inclusive environments where you truly can bring your whole self to work and I think this point around the individual um you know and particularly and I loved your connection Jude with the EHCP which is the educational Healthcare plan that um that uh, supports a lot of um children who are neurodiverse in their education but not in their workplace you know some of the learnings from that really could help employers structure how they help and ask what questions to ask isn't it or you know or, or what people feel free to disclose or um you know to find out what can support them and, and help them thrive um so I think um, and I, I'll come back to you Veena because as I said we're talking about courageous conversations and the challenge so this piece around cultural fit Talk me through in terms of what. You know, how do we help? How do <laughs> you? are going to set me off because, now. I know yeah. <laughs> it is. It is very important in that we understand. You know there is a culture within an organisation. Yes. But it really is around. You know, particularly I think for autistic people, it's a hard, It's so hard to navigate, and and you know be part of and feel included when it's when something like it's so intangible cultural fit. So what what should we say to employers around that?
1: I think the first thing for them to realize, um, and it goes back to both of your points, Joanna and Jude, is that there are probably already a number of employees who work for you mm. who are autistic and either they have not been diagnosed or they don't feel comfortable saying that they have been diagnosed. So if you think about the level of pain and pressure that they are under and the strain that they're putting themselves under, to To mask what comes incredibly naturally to them, uh, I mean that's just something I think employ, employers need to be aware of off the bat. When we talk about <laughs> um, fit and culture, um, I, I almost feel like they they should be treated as two very different things. I mean culture um, is you know it's an evolving thing, right? And you know, and and any leadership of a group, any employee in a group, at most you're a custodian um, of the culture. Yeah.
0: And I think that leads us to a a great way to to, to round up our conversation. Um, You know, if I I could ask all of you, um, as we finish, to to really in one sentence, which I know is difficult, say the pandemic has given us flexibility and we now have opportunities um, that perhaps weren't open to a lot of people in the workplace that are coming through. But what would you like to be as a lasting message for, an, for employers, for organisations, in terms of attracting and retaining and allowing, enabling people from uh, with uh, uh, who are neurodiverse to thrive. So Jude, if I could come to you.
3: I would love us to all really listen. So when asking an open question, listening to the answer as if you were listening to a part of yourself and understand that everybody's connected at some level and that we're all neurodiverse in some way and to just listen.
2: Larry, coming back to the whole thing around culture fit, removing that and thinking, you know, do these individuals fit our values? That That's surely more important. And what do they add to our culture? Think culture add, not culture fit. Um, and, and ultimately I suppose it's what, what we're all hopefully aiming at in, in the long-term future is to remove division at all and appreciate that we all have commonalities We all have differences, regardless of where we fit from an ethnicity perspective, gender, neurodiversity, social mobility, and and so on. And and I suppose if we all have that as our common goal, in terms of aiming at that true inclusive environment, then, you know, we should hopefully vaguely be on the same page. That wasn't very
1: succinct. Sorry, Joanna.
0: No, it's perfect. Thank you. And Veena.
1: Um, I completely agree with what Jude and Larry said, so I won't repeat that. But I think mine would be, um, as has been my experience as a parent, is, you know, remove your blinkers and prepare to be amazed, I think is what I would say.
0: (laughs) And it's just time really to say thank you. That was an incredible conversation. You know, we all have commonality. When you start talking and you start sharing experiences, you realise that it's, it's very similar and you know more conversations more openness and you know the ability to truly bring your whole self to work um, will, will just make a, a better environment and and allow people to reach their potential so thank you for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure that was a fascinating discussion and i hope you found it useful too I found the shared experiences of each mum really emphasise the importance of employers creating safe spaces where anyone, whoever they are, can articulate what support they need from their employers to thrive in their organisation. As a reminder, we have another neurodiversity podcast out now featuring an interview with the brilliant Theo Smith, who himself is diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. He has co-authored the book Neurodiversity at Work with Professor Amanda Kirby. It is well worth a listen and his thoughts on how we can change the workplace to be more innovative and inclusive are really thought provoking. Thank you for listening. And if you're interested in the work we do in diversity in retail and WIHTL, please visit our websites wihtr.com and diversityinretail.com.